0: Hello and welcome to the rising tide, where as usual i 'm joined by two party leader, Pather Tobin, fresh from the local election hustings, and of course the various counts around the country. Pa, your first experience as a party leader, your first election as a party leader, what was that like?
1: It was an incredible experience. I got to see the whole country uh, close up uh, over a period of about six months, so um, we obviously formed our political party just on the 5th of January, so the elections were held roughly 20 weeks later, uh, which is a very short space of time to build a national organization uh, to put in, obviously, candidates uh, across the country to make sure that we have teams of people out to support those candidates, to make sure that we have all of the necessary election material printed and, and created and developed. And people might think, but that's actually, there's a lot of work that goes into that, especially if you don't have the staff, uh, to create that. Uh, we also had an enormous amount of work in, in, in making sure then that we were registered as a political party. Uh, it's a phenomenally slow process, north and south, to do that. So there was a, a, a mountain of work that was behind the scenes before you even got to knock on the door. Then, of course, obviously getting to see the country up and close. I remember one day I was canvassing in Letterkenny in the morning, and I then was canvassing in OMA, uh in the just before lunch i was canvassing in meath around uh, four o'clock and then i was speaking at a dinner dance in cork at uh, f- i think it was half seven or eight and i remembered that the woman who booked the room for me in the hotel in cork said there's two beds in your room and one for yourself and one for the driver and i laughed obviously because i'm the driver as well so um we traveled uh, an, an enormous amount of, uh, of the country but we got a really good response and we were delighted with it
0: it's obviously a very tiring process, but do elections energise you?
1: It is, it, it's, it is an extremely uh, tiring process, there's no doubt about it, but it is amazing that by the time you, know, you got up and at it every morning, you, were, you did have a, a buzz around it, and uh, you know, there was an excitement around it, there was an energy around it, and every time you'd go to a different area, I remember you'd go to Carlow Town uh, to, to meet our candidate there, um, and there would be 15 people, 16 people waiting for you to go canvassing which you. You'd go to Port Tumna, there'd be a team of 20 people waiting for you there. You know, all around the country we were going into towns and villages with big teams of canvassers uh, who had already signed up to a, a brand new political party. And I knew that this was amazing because I knew that other political parties were canvassing one or two or three people in each of those towns and that they didn't have, you know, the, the, the groundswell of grassroots people coming to them to, to help them out. So I knew definitely that there was a buzz here. And even when we were selecting candidates, it got to my view that we had to make sure that we selected enough candidates uh, uh, to one, harness that groundswell. Now we selected candidates for a number of reasons. One, to get people elected, obviously. But two, to find out what we had in those areas. So um, because we would never you know, have thought how many people are gonna come out for us in, in Westmead, for example, or uh, in, in Cork, Southwest, uh, or in Kerry so many of it was testing the ground to see what kind of organization would come out for us and in most of the areas that we we ran in we found that there was a big chunk of people willing to
0: to help us out Mm. so at the end of that scoping exercise how many candidates did you actually field
1: well in north and south we ran just under 70 candidates Um, and and we in in the south we ran 53 candidates in the constituencies that we ran in we ran in i'd say under a third of the constituencies across the country Uh, we got between 5 and and 5.5% of the vote in those constituencies, which is a phenomenal first-time vote. And you remember that, you know, people, when you analyze it like this, I would say in every election, only about a quarter of the seats are actually up for grabs. Because, you know, three quarters of the seats are going to land in the same hands again, because these are the people with the with the strong names, they have 15, 20 years hard work done, they have built up reputations, etc. So when you're going in with a brand new candidate and a brand new political party, um, you really are going to find it hard to take seats. And 5% was a wonderful first time vote. It was an awkward first time vote as well because um, you typically have to get six or 7% to take a seat uh, in a local election. So uh, it means that we have a foundation built and a fabulous foundation built but in many areas, we hit the bar with regards guards taking seats. Now, we did take seats. We took, obviously, in the north, we took a seat in uh, Derry, uh, with Dr. Anne McCluskey there with well over 1,000 votes. You know, in the heart of West Belfast, we were taking 750 votes in, in small constituencies. In Armagh, 822 votes. Um, we topped the poll wonderfully with Sarah O'Reilly uh, in Baileyborough, Coot Hill. Um, first time election, you know, topped the poll, exceeded the quota, uh, 1,700 votes there. And even in the constituency right beside her agronia mcphillips took 800 votes in her first time uh, election Now sh- she was selected three and a half weeks before the election and you know she's 25 years old and uh, took 800 votes phenomenal uh, results Emer did Emer Tobin, my sister did really well in Navan. she took um she took uh, 1200 votes there as well and nearly topped the poll uh, jim codd uh, down wexford you know known for his phen- phenomenal phrase give jim cod the nod uh, he took um, the last, he took a seat there uh, as well and uh, so we had four councillors elected across the country. Now we hit the bar in a rake of different areas um, in West Dublin we hit the bar with Edward McManus uh, in a couple of seats in Mead we were the last person standing in those areas. In Donegal we got up well over 2,000 votes, uh, in Curry we did a phenomenally well there, in Limerick City believe it or not with Michael Ryan we were there in, in, up until the last count uh, chasing down a, a seat. Um, so I would now analyze it that we have about seven or eight constituencies, and I'm, I, I should include Galway East in that, where we are seriously competing for general election seats. Um, so you know, have well over 2,000 votes there, 3,500 votes in Meath um, in between the two constituencies there. Um, and you know we're going to run to win in West Dublin, we're going to run to win in Wexford
0: and um, in, in, in Kerry as well. I noticed that the one thing you seem to have done is uh, opt for first-time candidates rather than perhaps what some new parties have done in the past, they've gone for celebrities. Was that ever on the agenda for you?
1: Yeah, it was always our view that uh, we. Are, this is a long-term project, this is a 10 to 15-year project and I've analysed how the Green Party has done it and I've analysed how Sinn Féin had done it previously. So, you know, the Green Party, for example, I think the first time they ran was in in, in 1986. They got 0.6% of the vote. They got one candidate elected. And they ran five years later. They may have doubled the the percentage and the seats uh, count. When I joined Sinn Féin uh, in 1997, they had 2% of the vote. They had one TD and a handful of councillors in the South. Um, So I've always been of the view that parties such as Reynoua uh, and other parties have gone down the wrong route and that they're top-heavy, maybe celebrity-based, uh, but no grassroots and no party infrastructure underneath it. So that if the tide does go out you know, in a general election, et cetera, they have nothing left after that. So our view is that we need to build uh, from the grassroots uh, and make sure, and that's why we have, I tra- since January, I've traveled around and done about 43 meetings across the 32 counties. 6,500 people have come to those meetings with 2,000 members uh, of the organization, 60 functioning, common. And the elections are wonderful experiences as well because they shake people out of the local areas that you would never find otherwise. So for every 1,000 doors you knock on, you get at least a couple of people who go, I like what you're doing, I want to be involved, I want to be an activist, how do I sign up? And across the country then we would have gained a heap more people as a result of that. So our organization is far stronger with regards, let's say, name recognition. This was a breakthrough uh, election just to get people to know who ain't who are to, to know what we stand for as well uh, and obviously to make sure that our organizational structure is far stronger
0: just uh, focusing perhaps on on one first of all and that's navin because that's home area for mm-hmm. you um, your sister emma was elected uh, was there added pressure on you or added responsibility on you because of the family connection
1: well, it's funny, um, lots of people in politics focus on the pressure and what could go wrong and what would it mean if something goes wrong. I've spoken to TDs who have left political parties and are now independents, and I said to them, why don't you run in your local area? That You have to build in your local area if you want to keep your, your political project alive. And they've said to me, oh, my God, what if we don't get our councillor elected? That will mean that you know, we're in trouble. And my instinct is... If you, if you have that attitude, you're already retreating from the process. Because if you don't get your, you know, your local councillor elected, well then you are in trouble anyways. Like, not running doesn't help you uh, in that. Uh, and actually, if you're building from the ground and building councillors, you're the a far stronger place to make sure your political project is alive. So I never really worried about whether or not we were going to take the seat or not. We just threw our energy into it. And in Emer and in Sarah and in Jim Codd and Anne McCluskey, we were blessed that we had really good you know, uh, candidates, that if you were to design you know, a candidate to win an election, these are the kind of candidates that you would design. So we were blessed in that regard. And Navin, what Mead was going to be interesting in, in many ways, because obviously um, I was a Sinn Féin TD there until November 15th. And um, obviously there were eight Sinn Féin councillors there. Um, and it was going to be interesting to see that, how that happened. Now, I have to say on a personal basis, I am fiercely disappointed for some of the Sinn Féin councillors who lost their seats uh, in, in the election just by. Sinn Féin fell from eight council seats uh, to three. And we're lucky, actually, they scraped in on the, on, on the third seat. So you know, in November, they had nine elected reps in Meath. Today, they have three. Uh, and I am personally disappointed for some of the individuals because they're good candidates, they're good characters and did a lot of hard work. And um, what I noticed across the country was in those 53 southern uh, constituencies, a lot of our vote came off the Sinn Fein vote. Uh, there's no doubt that if you were to add our vote and the Sinn Fein vote, it's roughly where it would have been back in 2014. So there's no doubt that, let's say, the decisions made by the Sinn Fein leadership, by Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, et cetera, you know, to rigidly enforce their will on, on let's say, the, the right to life issue and other issues, has done serious damage uh, to the Sinn Féin project across the country. It's a, like I said at the time, I remember Adam Desh saying, you know, this is political kryptonite, this is a form of political self-harm. The leadership just would not listen to that. And I think, you know, sadly for, for, for their political projects, you know, uh, I was right in that regards.
0: Was that an example perhaps of trying to expand into fresher areas into get young people, and then losing those who were your more traditional vote. Yeah, I, I've always
1: said that um, you know, the, the Sinn Féin vote was a, a, a broad vote, actually, believe it or not. It,
0: and I, I remember
1: being at a graveyard uh, at, a, at a commemoration in Fermanagh years ago when I was a youngster, when I joined, and this owl fella says to me, he says, are you a Fenian or a socialist? And uh, I thought that was a very <laughs> interesting dichotomy because he was obviously pointing to the fact that there is a dichotomy within um, Sinn Féin and there are two types of people. I've always made the point that politically Gerry Adams had a political gravity that held those two wings of that party very tightly together. Uh, And I've always said, to be honest, that anybody who takes after Gerry is going to have a really hard, you know, it never was going to be easy for Mary Lou, to be honest, uh, taking up after Gerry Adams because that gravity is gone. And uh, I think that Mary Lou Macdonald took a decision to go down a route to you know, this, basically they were looking at what I call the leafy liberal vote in Dublin that, uh, that the Labour Party had and they said there's 15 seats that we should be winning. So they started to change their political tack and go down that route. I believe that Mary Lou MacDonald and the leadership decided to build bridges with the, the, the South Dublin media uh, as well and to start to speak their language around a number of issues. But what happened when they did that was that the, the, the traditional Sinn Féin objectives of Irish unity and economic justice, the bread and butter issues, uh, that draw me, drew me into the, the, the project and others, they started to slide down the priority list. I'm not saying they're gone, they're not, but they're definitely not the priority of the party anymore. And even you know, the idea that a couple of years ago, uh, the, the leadership said they wanted to go into government with anybody, so Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. I was in a debate with David Cullinan very recently uh, on RTE, and I was shocked, because um, David said that he wouldn't go into coalition with AIN2, and he said, because of our right to life policies, and I said to David, this is amazing, I said, we have the same policies as your leadership did three years ago, and yet you're willing to go into government with Fine Gael, and Fine Gael are refusing to have a border poll." and um, so that just shows you that shift in priority within, within Sinn Féin, and I believe that there's no doubt that's why they have lost you know so many councillors and um, so many they've lost uh, MEPs and um, and one of the things that people are not looking at because they've lost so many councillors they're going to lose senators in the next shanads because they won't have that council vote and um, they're, they're probably to lose about three senators and listen none of this you know is is is, is a good thing uh, this is you know i my heart goes out to too many of those decent people but the leadership of the party has done the damage to them.
0: Interestingly enough, uh, the media had been telling us now for the last few years that Gerry Adams was the liability and that if you could just get rid of Gerry Adams, Sinn Féin would sweep into government without any uh, doubt whatsoever. Didn't happen like that?
1: No. I actually think the, the major weakness that Sinn Féin have, and I've spent 21 years in it, is it is far too centralised in its decision-making. It has the infrastructure of internal democracy, for sure. But unfortunately, the the membership aren't empowered enough to challenge the leadership when they're making uh, wrong decisions. Every single organization is stronger when it has a more robust and diverse membership, always challenging and questioning the direction of the leadership. It is, I suppose it's the power of the crowd. Uh, it It makes better decisions. But when you have that really small, tight, uh, leadership that makes all of the decisions and where the decisions are, are, are forced down from the top to the grassroots, that's backwards. It should go the other way. It should be a grassroots organisation
0: and the decisions should be coming from the grassroots upwards. Well, let's return to a and two for a moment again and go back to Navin. Um, your sister was on the doorsteps. Um, you know when you're talking to neighbours and you're talking to friends, they say, of course, Amy, you're going to get our vote. Were there any doubts about that? Because your, your experience at, at reading what people say to you on the doorsteps, uh, were they saying the kinds of things that made you really genuinely believe them?
1: Well, absolutely. It's funny. I was talking to a councillor there recently, and I was asking her how she was getting on in the elections. And she says to me something that was I thought was uh, very witty. Um, she said, Do you know, it's not just politicians that lie. She <laughs> says, because if I get all the first preferences on the door that have been promised... I'm going to win about four quotas. <laughs> so um, people do tell you. Like, a lot of people want to, you want to be nice to you. They, want to just, you know, they don't want to have you know, a, a battle with you. Um, and then a lot of people at the doors just want to get back to watching Carnation Street or, or the football match, to be honest. Uh, so they'll, they'll tell you what you want to hear. But I, we, we definitely got the feeling about six days out from the election that we were going to do well in Navin. We got that. And actually, at one stage, we were questioning ourselves on whether or not we should have run a second candidate in Navin. A lot of political parties do opinion polls maybe about four weeks out, five weeks out Mm -hmm. from an election to see should they run another candidate. Uh, Obviously, we hadn't the resources to do that, Uh, um, so we stuck with the one. We said we'd better get one seat rather than split the vote and Mm -hmm. and, and, and potentially lose a
0: seat. And what gave you that feeling, you know, six days out? What what was it that sort of twigged in the brain? Well,
1: I I canvassed a couple of estates in Navin, and people were coming out, out of their houses to us. And saying we're giving, definitely giving the number one, we're def- and, and uh, I was in, interesting. A lot of people who had voted uh, yes in the repeal uh, referendum actually came out of the doors. And said, we're definitely giving uh, EMER the number one. She said because you know while we might differ just on this one issue, we really are impressed with all the other stuff that you're doing. And you know what, uh, people who stand up for what they believe in in this country are just so few and far between uh, that we actually we're going to give you the
0: number one anyways. That uh, sounds like political maturity. Really.
1: It does. I think you know, I think people um, are s- so sick of politicians who stick their finger in the air just to find out which way the wind are blown, and they can never be sure in what their politicians are going to uh, say. That it's just wonder- they, they were saying it's just wonderful to see politicians stand enough for what they believe in, and even if it does not you know, 100% agree with what we
0: agree with, that's good enough for us. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not suggesting now that you're going to have a dynasty like the, he- the Healy Rays or, or somewhere else, but uh, was, the, was the Tobin household when you were growing up, was it a political household? Did, you know, were you like the Kennedys sitting around the table having large discussions?
1: It's definitely not going to be a dynasty as, 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 uh, in any ways at all, but it was. It was a very political family. I remember uh, I was the youngest of seven children, and uh, every Sunday dinner when everybody was sitting around, there was always very heated political debates and those debates it's funny i grew up in the 80s obviously and those debates mirrored the debates we're having today in that they were about issues like abortion and issues uh, like divorce uh, issues like the north of ireland uh, issues you know like housing and and the economy and accountability in politics and you know we by default always took the opposite view to our parents uh, and i think that was one to test the validity of our parents our, our parents would have been, you know, traditional in traditional many sense of the political ways, but they weren't, let's say, dogmatic uh, in their views. You know, points had to be backed up with facts and figures, not just on, you know, this is the way it is, or that's the way it, it's 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 meant to be, or this is the party view. And we weren't. It was never a political party. My mother was Fine Gael. I remember going into primary school, probably in first class, with we a big. FG sticker on me, um, and because uh, I think Garrett had won, maybe won that election. Mm-hmm. My father's family were probably Fianna Fall, uh, we would have had kind of links to coming them on back in, in the day. Uh, but my father, being a businessman, was probably a pragmatic politically, and those who made business a little bit easier would have got the vote.
0: Mm. I know local elections are they're local by their very nature, but. Because you're a party leader, you were probably able to see what was going on around the country. Were the same issues coming up on the doorsteps?
1: Yes. The, the issue that struck most with us was the absolute anger that existed around the fact that we were the government were putting billions of euros into waste, billions of euros of taxpayers' money into waste, while at the same time no money could be found for housing, health or local services. Uh, another issue that was you know, uh, coming up for us was... Ireland, Ireland was split into three overheating city, commuter hell, basically for a third of the country, and emptying of much of the West. Uh, and you know, uh, people were very clearly that we were becoming very divided uh, in that regard. Um, there was a little bit more of a local element than 2014, because 2014 was, you know, you were in the depths of a horrendous crisis. People were coming back to some of the local issues. In a way that they were probably in 2009 and, and previous to that mm. um, but um, it, you know we were just buoyed up that we were getting such such support we were delighted with it
0: well i'm sure you were taking a particular note of what was happening in trim and, and emers count and i'm going to use that as an example again um, some people don't quite know what the tallymen are actually doing uh, it's a it's a very interesting and indeed it's a very exciting time to see what's going on there and to know early on that there are trends
1: Yeah, first of all, can I just say, um, I was delighted with how uh, our running mates in Meath did. Uh, We had uh, Peter Whelan, who did very well in Slane. We had a a young man by the name of uh, Joseph Chute, who stood in Ashburn, again, only four weeks out. And he came ahead of the uh, Sinn Féin candidate uh, in in Ashburn and was fighting for that last seat. Uh, We had uh, Des Dorn, who was fighting in in Trim, and again, did very, very well, came in around. Roughly the same vote as the Sinn Féin candidate there. Uh, and Peter Devon, obviously in the Kells area, did very, very well. The, the, the counts are a phenomenal mix of first of all, if we can put it in perspective. Everybody is absolutely wrecked by the time the count happens. So they've spent all of their energy on the doors in the previous six to ten weeks. Um, so you're coming at a, a, a count which is a long arduous process at your lowest physical, mental ebb. Possibly. And uh, so then you have the the stress of how you're going to do. The tallies obviously are a situation where the counters are simply sorting the ballots and you have then all the people from the political parties peering over the the, the barrier, looking at the the votes and themselves counting the actual votes. Now those um, uh, boxes from different parts of the constituency will have different results Some will be very strong in one part of the constituency for a candidate and very weak in another, depending on the geographic spread. And so therefore, they start to put those uh, tallies together as the morning goes on. And you could have a situation where a candidate has maybe 12% of the vote and is rock solid on for a a seat earlier on. But then as the boxes further away from where he lives start to come in, his vote starts to recede and then he he or she gets worried and the stress starts to creep in. Um, and then when the tallies are done, they can be out by a, a number of votes, sometimes as much as 150 if the tally is not done right, but usually just by, by 20 or 30 votes. Um, usually the people who are doing at the top or the bottom basically know where they're coming uh, in the scheme of things, but the people in the middle are still unsure of what's happening because transfers will determine their votes, uh, and then they have to wait for the, the full count.
0: And I've always noticed that the, the really experienced tallymen they're not just looking at number one mm-hmm. they're actually able to keep an eye on number twos and even number threes and that's where the real indicator of what the people in the middle are going to do that's where it comes
1: that's right and um it, it, it's the the parties are so professional at it now that they 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 have a they're cognizant of the, the second and third votes um but also they're they're actually tallying the second and third votes so in other words when the the votes are being um uh, distributed then they're actually looking at the next vote on that line. So they're always one vote ahead of the actual counters, knowing where things are happening. And a key value of all of this is they know how much votes come out of each box. And they know that the box included maybe 10 or 15 streets and maybe a number of housing estates. So then they know geographically when they go home and they're analyzing the votes, well, Ain2 did really well in this part of the town. We're very strong there. We need to grow in, in other parts of the town, so we need to put special effort into other parts of the town as well. So the political strategy of the political parties for the next five years will actually be determined from their analysis of those tally boxes uh, in, in, on the elections.
0: So you had a good look at what was going on right throughout your constituency. What do you think it means for you for the future then in uh, Mead West? Well,
1: Mead West is going to be a very fractured space in the next election. Um, I got 10,000 votes in the last... Uh, election uh, a quarter of the votes in Midwest and um, that's unlikely to happen to be honest right now um, Sinn Féin is gonna have a vote uh, in Midwest the SOC Dems are gonna have a vote now in Midwest the Greens are gonna have a probably an increased vote in Midwest West. Uh, Fianna Fáil and uh, Fine Gael you know are looking to run probably multiple candidates themselves which will squeeze uh, the vote radically I also believe that Mary Lou will have an Avon accent um, by the, the end of the next general election. Uh, you know, because there should be some change. You know that they're <laughs> they're going to be pouring resources into Midwest uh, to try and uh, crowbar me out of that seat, because um, they don't want to see that competition for that vote in the future. And um, so we have a big project, a big job of work to do. We need obviously to to take a few days off, uh, but already the aim to. Corby Cantor will be meeting uh, on Saturday morning, uh, and we will be building new commons in me and strengthening those commons. Adding the new people we've met along the way in, uh, we will be getting fully immersed in the uh, the needs of the people in our, in our local constituencies, and we will have better policies, we will have better representatives, and ha- harder work than any of the other political parties. Uh, and I know that hopefully by the next general election, people will have recognised that uh, when when they come to vote as well. But we have to do this. All around the country. And I, I believe that there's about seven to ten target constituencies for us uh, Foyle in uh, in Derry, uh, Newry Armagh, West Belfast, uh, and the area around, let's say, Dungiven, Limavady, and Karen uh, Toher uh, in Derry. And then definitely Donegal, Cavanmonhan, uh, Mead East and Mead West, uh, Dublin West, Wexford, Galway East, and uh, uh, Mayo. Uh, they will definitely be, and, and one of the, the, the Cork constituencies, they will be targets for us, and we will be pouring our energies in there to make sure that I'm not the only a to td coming into the next all.
0: Of course, you'll need time to build that and to, to structure that. Uh, do you think that the local election results, percentage-wise, make a general election more likely or less likely? Um,
1: I think they'll probably make it less likely. The problem is the government of call between a rock and a hard place, and I'm not saying that in a sympathetic way, but um, they have a lame duck doll at the moment. The doll is extremely weak with regards to carrying out what it needs to be done. Um, Fine Gael are you know, at sixes and sevens currently with um, crisis after crisis. They're like a fiasco factory currently. And the country, as a result, is getting, let's say, crisis fatigue. On the other side, we have Fianna Fáil, who are giving free passes nonstop. Uh, to Fina Gale and Fina Fall, who themselves are in, in, in major difficulties. Uh, Mihol is probably the weakest leader Fina Fall has ever seen, uh, in, in, in my view. Um, and there's obviously a surge, probably an overestimated surge for the Greens, but a surge nonetheless for them. So there's, there's definitely going to be pressures to call an election, but equal pressures not to call an election. But I would not be surprised if the election happens in the next six to eight
0: months. Uh, I mean, it must be difficult for Fianna Fáil to be in government and in opposition at the same time. Uh, it, it's an extraordinary situation. It's an
1: astounding situation um, that they have. Um, I, I, I watched a video by Stephen Donnelly recently, and it was a take-off of the Bob Dylan video where he, instead of articulating the words, he has them written on a, on a white card, and he just passes each one by as the song goes on. And he, he literally, Stephen, wrote down every single uh, disgraceful crisis that exists currently uh, under the Fine Gael government. And he lists, obviously, that 750,000 people with regards to you know, the hospital waiting lists, the 2,500 kids uh, and adults who are waiting for uh, the first mental health appointment, um, you know, the 10,400 people who are on housing waiting, uh, waiting lists. Um, yet, he missed out one card. And the, the figure he needed to write was the amount of times Fianna Fáil have held Fianna Fáil to account, which is zero. So um, you know, they, there's this huffing and puffing and bluster in Leinster House to beat the band. There's theatre and anger uh, that's non-stop in here, but has nobody been held to account? And that's one of the most infuriating things about uh, Irish politics at the moment. It is radically broken, and until the date that we actually start to hold people to account. We will never change this crisis cycle that we're in, uh, and that's what AINTA we're seeking to do, is to hold
0: the establishment to account. Right, well just, if we leave the national stage for the moment and go back to the local one, because you've mentioned uh, the people who have been elected for you, and I just want to basically see who are these people. You mentioned in Cavan, first of all, say Sarah O'Reilly, uh, that was in the Bailiabur Coot Hill that's uh, right. area. You know, had she any experience or background?
1: Sarah was a, um, a long-time Fianna Fáller. Her family were Fianna Fáil people. They have become radically disenchanted with the direction Fianna Fáil's leadership have gone. Um, also, there was major difficulties. Um, Sarah was, was co-opted to a Fianna Fáil seat when Neve um, Smith became a TD here in Leinster House, and I understand that the relationship rapidly deteriorated after that. Sarah is one of the hardest workers I know. She is. Really, really good with people, and um, she realised that, you know, like so many other people, she had no future left uh, in Fianna Fail, and she came with us, uh, and she stood. It was her first election, and she got over 1,700 first preferences. A wonderful results there. Uh, Jim Codd another uh, former Fianna Fail member, uh, there, who's a school teacher, and again, really disenchanted with the direction the Fianna Fail have gone, and uh, he has come uh, with us and has taken the seat there. Um, and it's funny, like in, in both Wexford and Cavan, there are examples of, you know, people leaving Fina Fáil and Sinn Féin Commons on mass, and coming to ourselves and joining in one ain't two common, and you know Jim Codd you know, quips now and again that we we have actually you know reunited uh, the party after about seventy years of division, you know uh, what Air did, we have healed to a certain extent, um, but it's that wing of Fina Fáil who are especially open to us. It's that kind of. You know people in finna who are you know republican who do seek irish unity and uh, do who do seek economic justice you know who want to see you know prosperity and the economy doing well but recognize that you know there has to be decency in the country too uh, and that those people who are leaving finna fall mass are
0: coming to us of interest it's particularly it's what's been going on in the six counties and you've mentioned a number of areas there um would that vote have come from sinn fein or would that vote have come from the sdlp
1: there is a, um, a again. I'd say it's mostly Sinn Fein, but I'd say it's 60% Sinn Fein, 40% SDLP, um, and like it, it's it's unheard of that a political party that was at that stage three week, three months old, was going into West Belfast with candidates who never stood in politics before, and were taking 750 votes out of you know the Falls Road and places like that, um, simply on a a, a view that. Sinn Fein were not focused on the, uh, the, the national project anymore, that they were distracted be- now uh, with regards to the culture wars. You know, people were saying to us at the doors, it is amazing that Mary Lou and Michelle O'Neill are going over to London to ask them to legislate on issues uh, such as abortion and uh, same sex marriage, etc. Now, these are important issues, and no matter what your views are of them, I respect your views on them. But what Aintha was saying is that we should have self determination in Ireland. That the people of Ireland should decide these decisions amongst ourselves. And that, we, that, like, in 200 years of Republican history, nobody's ever gone, except for Mary Lou and Michelle, to London and asked them to legislate for Ireland. And, you know, I've asked a, a number of senior Sinn Féin leaders, do you seek Westminster to legislate for Ireland? And they won't answer that question. Because it is the truth, they do now seek legislation from London
0: for Ireland. On the local level, it it must be of interest, you've given me figures there from places like um, Armagh, down um, from different places Mm -hmm. around the north. Um, So this was the real value for you of this exercise, though, because you now know that there is a base there, because if you'd had to go straight into a general election, it would have been going in blind almost. Exactly. So a number of things has
1: happened. One, people know who Aintu is. Secondly, people know what we're about. Uh, Thirdly, we have organizational structures and teams of people who have already fought an election now who who are not newbies uh, uh to this uh, and four we we know the areas of, of our greatest strength and we have also candidates who have ability and who can pull votes so if we had to do that at the first time in the general election it would have been really difficult i just want to just as, as well mention, if, if what i think of it is we have some significant challenges uh, with regards to this as well in this election one of our challenges is for example we're the only political party that had. Have no state funding whatsoever, um, the way it's de- the funding is de- designed in this country it 's designed to protect the incumbents so existing political parties who have fought general elections before and who have tds and um, have massive state money, we have no money uh, from the state at all, so we are operating on gas to be honest and the fumes of gas uh, around finances. Another issue is we were i think we got a raw deal with regards to the media in a big way so RTE, radio and television, gave us one minute of broadcast time in four weeks in advance of the elections. No other political party had that low uh, amount of, of time to set their stall uh, forward. Uh, and rough, a lot of the print media was, was was similar. You know, there were some decent uh, opportunities, but most of the print media was similar. Um, secondly, um, the, there, there is an issue, I believe, uh, with regards some of our messages were actually distorted in advance, um, uh, so people got the wrong impression with regards to what we actually believe. So I would ask, we have a website, so I'd ask people, you know, who are interested in us and m- might want to take a, take a second look, go to our website. That will tell you exactly what our political platform is. Um, even now, if you were to go onto the RTE website, or if you look at any of the RTE uh, uh, coverage of the, the election, you won't see the name Ain2 anywhere. So you'll see let's say all the political parties and their boxes and how much votes they got how many seats they got. No there's no figure at all for Ain two and there's no name. Even though let's say independence for change, they got the same amount of council seats as we did. So we're the only political party with all representation without any of uh, our images at all on social media or television whatsoever. So again there's a effort, you know, maybe it's unknown or by accident, I don't know. But it's uh, it's sucking the oxygen of publicity out of our political project which is a very difficult place for a a party
0: to be. You mentioned funding there what is the entry level for funding?
1: Um, For for a party to achieve funding you have to have 2% of the vote in a general election and so we have the really odd situation where there's a political party that fought the election got 2% of the vote in the general election didn't get any TDs elected and gets a quarter of a million euros of the state a year we have a TD elected and we get no money. Now, and there's another issue as well. Sinn Féin gets 40 grand a year for me still, and for Carol Nolan still, even though we're no longer members of those parties. We don't get that at all. And that that money is usually given to a, an independent TD or a political party to help them with their you know, research and development as such. And one of the other challenges that we have as a political party is I'm a non-aligned TD. So in other words, I'm not a member of a technical group because there aren't sufficient TDs for that technical group, uh, and I don't get dull time, and I don't get leaders' questions, uh, et cetera. So that f- makes it more difficult to us to actually uh, project our policies and our campaigns in the dull setting. So it means we have to put even more effort into the grassroots development of this organization. So
0: you, don't, you don't get a second of dull time?
1: There is we, Now and again, you, you, get a, on, on, uh, you might get a question here or there, uh, or you might get a minute on a, 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 a bill or on a piece of legislation. But in general, you get very little. All of the, the, the Alliance TDs get uh, private members' bills. They get questions to the ministers guaranteed,
0: and questions to the Taoiseach, leaders' questions, all that kind of stuff. We don't get that. Uh, one of the other big issues, of course, that came from the elections generally was the Green Party and what the Green Party had been doing. And it's, it's like the green agenda, I'm often thinking about the fact of when somebody was asked about what did they think of democracy, they said, I think it would be a great idea. Um, you know, everyone wants to be green, mm. but it's not exactly the way people were thinking about initially.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose, first of all, um, I want to say that AIN2 is a very strongly environmentalist party. We believe that we need to pl- pass this planet to the next generation in at least as good a Nick as we actually achieved it ourselves. Uh, There is major problems with regards, you know, we are at one of the highest levels of species extinction currently. You know, hundreds of thousands of acres of the sea are floating islands of plastic at the moment. And there is very serious global warming uh, at the moment and it is man-made. And we have, you know, personal choices and, you know, statewide choices that we need to take radically soon to resolve it. Uh, And I would, you know, I would say our party could easily challenge the Greens on the environment. Uh, as such, I also want to say that the establishment parties would, put, would make Trump blush in many ways with regards to the environment. They talk the talk all the time, but they never deliver. Ireland is second worst in Europe with regards to climate uh, amelioration uh, policy. Um, now, the other thing I will say to you is, I think there is a disconnect still from people's green intentions and their behaviours, and that has to change. Now, I'm, not, I'm just not saying anything, but in, in our household, for example, you know, when we bought our house there a few years ago, as part of the mortgage, we sought money for a full external installation. We changed the heating system from oil to, you know, timber, uh, et cetera. We put the uh, photovoltaic, uh, or the, sorry, the, 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 the water heating solar panels up on, on the roof. You know, I cy- for eight years, I've cycled into, into the doll. we got the lowest uh, size engine possible. Um, there are lots of steps that people can take with regards, you know, their, their personal choices. And you know we would make sure that we don't buy single-use plastic uh, where possible. But the government needs to take major responsibility in this. Like, what we would do in AIM2 is we would reduce the cost of public transport by 20%. We would also increase the availability of public transport into more areas uh, radically uh, to allow for people uh, to use it. We would allow, let's say, for electric cars to use bus lanes to get free tolls, uh, to get free parking, uh, etc. for a couple of years at least. Um, you know, there's there is there's major low-hanging fruits. There's about 1.6 million property, like homes, in the country, and uh, about only about 300,000 of those have had any type of uh, retrofit insulation happening. Never mind deep retrofit. You know, the country needs to go on a project of deep retrofitting houses. Oftentimes, the debate gets stuck on the pros and cons of carbon taxes, uh, because that's a bone of contention for the media to get interested around. But most of the steps that we could take would actually make life easier for people, more comfortable for people, cheaper for people, would reduce our imports, and uh, would make us more self-sustainable. Like for example, you know, there's not a farmer in the country that can actually feed their energy into the grid and get a feed-in tariff for it. So farmers are skint all over Ireland, and we're saying it aim to let them put small-scale uh, wind, small-scale solar, and small-scale biodigestion into the grid and get maybe five or 10 grand back a year to supplement their low incomes and you know they're the type of benefits that we should be achieving but, we're, but the governments are you know laggards, snails paced uh, on
0: this issue and that has to change. I mean the, the government are going to have to help especially with the deep retrofitting because it's very expensive, yes. um, The ordinary person, I mean you're not going to get it back if you have to put twenty, thirty thousand into your house, mm-hmm. you know that that's money that you're never going to see back. So the government is going to have to basically stump up here and produce yeah. the money.
1: But for example, what, what I would have done, when, at the time of the crash, when everybody that was in the, in the construction industry was fleeing the country to go into Australia and, Australia and Canada and other countries, the government then should have said, OK, let's roll out deep retrofit of our housing stock. Keep these workers in Ireland. So that now, at the start of this other you know, cycle of the housing crisis, that they would be here to, to, to lend a hand. That would have been the clever thing to do. But there's lots of ways of doing it. You could say to a family, OK, we're going to deep retrofit your house, uh, which will decrease your fuel bills over the next 20 years. We're asking you to maintain your fuel bills as they are today. To help pay that uh, uh, for 10 years, that retrofit, that 20 grand that needs to be spent in your house. In 10 years' time, your fuel bills will fall to their new levels, and that, let's say, uh, difference that you've paid in the 10 years will help pay. The, uh, the difference. Uh, will help pay for the, for the retrofit. So in other words, your house will be more comfortable, it will be more cheaper to fuel, uh, and you will then have that decreased bill in 10 years' time.
0: I think that's a discussion that we might enter into on another mm-hmm. occasion as well. But for now, uh, finally, Pader, from an a and perspective, uh, can you sum up the 2019 mm-hmm. local elections first?
1: Well, this has been uh, our historic election and into his first election. We've done phenomenally well in 20 weeks. We're absolutely delighted with it. We've built so much. Uh, We have managed to get, in the constituencies that we've run in, one in 20 of those constituents have voted for us, uh, which is phenomenal. We have got really good people elected uh, and now we have a chance to build, to challenge for dull seats in a number of different constituencies over the next while uh, and that's a a wonderful results for such a small party in such a small time
0: you've been listening to the rising tide in conversation with n2 leader Pader tobin